Hello and welcome to episode 535 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Friday, May 19th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Friday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain love towards her and Jesus Christ by the great saint and doctor of the church, Alphonsus Liguri. O Mary, I already know that thou art the most noble, the most sublime, the most pure, the most beautiful, the most benign, the most holy, in a word, the most amiable of all creatures. O that all knew thee, my lady, and loved thee as thou dost merit. But I am consoled when I remember that in heaven and on earth there are so many happy souls who live enamored of thy goodness and beauty. Above all, I rejoice that God himself loves thee alone more than he loves all men and angels together. My most amiable queen, I, a miserable sinner, love thee also, but I love thee too little. I desire a greater and more tender love towards thee, and this thou must obtain for me, since to love thee is a great mark of predestination and a grace which God only grants to those whom he will save. I see also, my mother, that I am indeed under great obligations to thy son. I see that he merits infinite love. Thou, who desirest nothing else but to see him loved, hast to obtain me this grace above all others. Obtain me great love for Jesus Christ. Thou obtainest all that thou willest from God. Ah, then be graciously pleased to obtain me the grace to be so united to the divine will that I may never more be separated from it. I do not ask of thee earthly goods, honors, or riches. I ask thee for that which thy heart desires most for me. I wish to love my neighbor." Is it possible that thou refusest to second this my desire which is so pleasing to thee? Ah, no, thou already helpest me. Already thou prayest for me. Pray, pray, and cease not to pray until thou seest me safe in heaven, beyond the possibility of evermore losing my Lord, and certain to love him forever, together with thee, my dearest mother. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them, with love for thee. Amen. The Holy Face of Jesus of the Veil of Veronica Prayers. Dear Lord, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which most offend God in our times. Blasphemy, the profanation of Sunday and holy days and communism. Pater noster, quies in celi, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, Panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honorum mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells by all God's creatures and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen for the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, 
that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Eternal Father, we offer thee the holy face of Jesus, covered with blood, sweat, dust, and spittle, in reparation for the crimes of communists, blasphemers, and for the profaners of the holy name, and of the holy day of Sunday. Amen. O God, who dost also manifest thy omnipotence by mercy and compassion, listen to the prayers we offer up for the enlightenment of the unbelieving, perfidious Jews, that they may acknowledge the light of thy truth, which is Christ, and may be saved from their blindness. Grant, we beseech thee, all-powerful God, that the remnant of the Jewish people may walk in the way of salvation, and by following the preaching of the blessed John, thy precursor, they may safely come to him whom he foretold, Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. Today, friends, we are going to return to the wonderful blog, Tradition and Sanity. You can find it at traditionsanity.substack.com. The purveyor of this blog is, of course, the most excellent Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, the eminent Catholic theologian and composer of sacred music. This was published yesterday as I'm recording this, May 18th, and it is titled Solemn Worship or Synodal Wrangling. When will the church's hierarchy put its best buskin foot forward? When will it show us a divine face? Dionysus and the Roman Rite point the way. The ordered cosmos and its most sacred divine law. In his inaugural lecture, incepting as a doctor of theology at the University of Paris, the Dominican friar Thomas Aquinas spoke the following wonderful words. The king and lord of the heavens instituted this law from eternity, that the gifts of his providence would come to lower things through mediators. Hence, Dionysus says in On the Ecclesiastical Hierarchy, the most sacred divine law is such that the middle things should be, should be first things, should, excuse me, should by first things be led to his most divine light. This law is found not only in spiritual things, but also in bodily things. Hence, Augustine says, in the way that the most base and lowly are ruled by more subtle and powerful and rank, so also all bodies are ruled by the rational spirit of life. We even see by our senses that rains flow from the highest clouds by which the mountains and rivers are watered and proceed onward to nourish the earth and make it fruitful. In the same way, from the heights of divine wisdom, the minds of teachers signified by the mountains are watered by whose ministry the light of divine wisdom comes to the minds of those who hear them. Frequently, at a solemn mass, I am struck by the beauty of the hierarchical array of the ministers, especially after the collect has been sung and the MC leads the subdeacon over to the center to chant the epistle while the superior ministers, priest and deacon, go to the side, and the many servers calmly drift to their places. After the epistle is chanted, the moving ceremony of the gospel takes place in which the deacon is blessed by the priest who remains at the high altar while the deacon processes to his station, accompanied by ministers with candles and incense to chant the gospel northwards. When the gospel is finished, the subdeacon carries the book back to the priest to be kissed and so forth. The liturgy bequeathed to us by tradition is full of such meaningful beauty. The ceremonies speak to us of divine mysteries too deep for words. Our words can approach, surround, and caress those mysteries, but all the while we sense their inadequacy. As is often said, 
if we could describe music in words, there'd be no need for it. Liturgy is like vocal music in that sense, conveying not only a text, but also something in a language beyond language. Ceremonies like silver, fire tried, purged from earth, seven times refined, is the next section. For instance, the stylized kiss of peace in the old rite conveys more than a learned disquisition could do, and far more effectively. I once described the solemn and hieratic giving of the peace during the Agnes Day thus. The priest, in a simple but noble gesture, gives peace to the deacon, the deacon in turn to the subdeacon, the subdeacon to the seminarian at the side, while the scola chanted Dona Nobis Pacem, and the priest prayed Domine Jesu Christi, qui dixisti apostolis tuis, pacem relinquo wobis, pacem meam do wobis. O Lord Jesus Christ, who didst say to thine apostles, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. It was clear that this peace streamed forth from the Lord and through his ministers. It flowed from the altar outwards, as in Ezekiel's vision of the water flowing from the temple. Watching how the peace was given, the symbolic announcement of fraternal union among the ministers at the altar, as though Christ's peace was being both acted out in a drama and enacted in reality, it struck me that a congregation who witnessed it would be in a position to obtain a vivid insight into the objective nature of Christian charity and fraternal harmony. With its necessary link to Christ, equaling the altar, his holy sacrifice, and himself in the Holy Eucharist. What details abound in the forest of symbols that the Mass is? I noticed, too, the manner in which the priest and deacon, hierarchically, standing at the altar, turn to face the people at the end, the priest to sing Dominus Wobiscum, and the deacon to sing Ite Misa Est, while the subdeacon remained with his back to the people and his face hidden, giving a striking image of the Blessed Trinity, the Father and Son manifesting themselves through each other, the Father as Dominus, as in the prayer for the church's guardian angel at the very beginning, Dominus Sancter Pater, Omnipotens Eterni Deus, the Son as the high priest who offers the sacrifice, the Ite Misa Est, chanted by the deacon, while the Holy Spirit, though present, remains elusive. As St. Thomas explains, we cannot give a proper name to the Holy Spirit, as we can to the Father and the Son. The entire solemn mass is filled with such ceremonies of subordination, assistance, communication, association, bestowal, and reception. To borrow a phrase from the psalmist, the ceremonies of the great Western rites are like silver tried by fire, purged from the earth, refined seven times. See Psalm 11.7. They have passed through the fire of the Holy Spirit, their earthly dross has been purged, their execution refined to perfection. Such observations prompted me to exclaim, could there be anything more beautiful and at the same time more instructive than every gesture, every word, every chant of the ancient Roman rite? When properly done, it is absolutely the equal of the most elaborate and richly texted Eastern liturgy. The main reason Westerners feel Byzantine envy is that they so seldom experience their own right in its fullness. Each has strengths peculiar to itself. The Eastern liturgy excels in the poetic fervor and doctrinal content of its hymns, 
while the Western liturgy excels in the potent conciseness of its prayers and in the dignity, solemnity, order, and peacefulness of its ceremonies. The next section is entitled Displaying the Inward Reality of the Church's Human Hierarchy. For us men on earth, says Dionysus the Areopagite, it is by way of the perceptible images that we are uplifted as far as we can be to the contemplation of what is divine. Our own hierarchy is itself symbolical and adapted to what we are. The liturgy, one might say, puts individual form almost into the form of a religious dance, the spiritual actions of intellectual creatures, of the angels, among whom the higher both look more intently to God and illuminate those inferior to them, of the saints in heaven who intercede for the militant on earth, of the souls in purgatory who rely on our prayers even as they pray for us, of the church's hierarchy on earth where the pontiff is served by the priest, the priest by the deacon, the deacon by the subdeacon, the subdeacon by the minor ministers, with the choir and the people also caught up in their own ways in the self-same action and reception. What we see here is the ecclesiastical hierarchy put on display, but also actualized and energized in its highest purpose, the worship of God and the sanctification of his faithful ones. And aside, we do still agree, don't we, that the worship and love of God for his own sake is our highest purpose, the souls, the churches, the priests, the hierarchies, because if we don't agree about that, I'm afraid we have a rather colossal problem on our hands. In a very important sense, the hierarchy exists chiefly for this aesthetic and symbolic purpose, not primarily to teach or govern, to issue letters or laws or policies, much less bureaucratic paperwork about the social cause du jour and still less to indulge in vastly expensive, time-consuming synodal processes, libra nos domine, but to exemplify the hierarchy within the Blessed Trinity, the hierarchy of angels and saints in the King's heavenly court, the graceful order of the celestial city of Jerusalem. When I see the solemn mass, my heart soars with appreciation of hierarchy. That is when it ceases altogether to feel like a top-down imposition of blathering, bezzling, banking bureaucrats and feels, as it should, like the refraction into a spectrum of rank, order, and purpose of a single bright ray of divine splendor shining from the triune source of light. Our next section is the right and the wrong kind of pontificating. I have spent a fair amount of time in the company of many bishops and even a few cardinals. Some of them have been amiable, others unpleasant. Some highly intelligent and literate, others not so much. Some rigidly orthodox, earnest seekers of the kingdom of God, as they should be. Others morally flexible and political, exuding cowardice, ambition, or worst of all, progressivism. But I have been moved to a profound love of a bishop only when I have seen him pontificating, that is, celebrating a solemn traditional Roman liturgy in which his unique assimilation to Christ the eternal high priest is vividly clear, overpowering his personality, cloaking him in apostolic, ecclesial, heavenly grandeur, symbolized by layer upon layer of vestments. In the old rite, the bishop has to don every type of vestment, one atop the other, cassock, alb, tunical, dalmatic, chasuble, to show that he has the fullness of all orders. When I say love, I don't mean the sort of blanket charity 
that we're supposed to have for every member of the body of Christ. I mean more specifically, a grateful admiration of who and what he is and a real willing of his good. That is what a solemn pontifical liturgy brings out for me. It helps me to renew my faith in this man as a successor of the apostles, one who is carrying on their primary task, which is not to wait on tables, that is, busy himself with more worldly affairs, but to remain attached to the word of God, see Acts 6.2, which is done above all through the glorification of the word made flesh in the Eucharistic sacrifice. How sad it is then, even tragically ironic, that the hierarchy since the time of the Second Vatican Council has by and large given up its most beautiful and splendid task, namely of lifting up by means of a richly stratified office abundant liturgy, the edge of the veil of the world to come, and has identified itself instead with its still important but less theocentric tasks of teaching and governing, or whatever verb could be used for endless staff meetings and synodal gatherings, so that today when we hear or think of hierarchy or even clergy, we may not intuitively think about God or heaven or beauty but about Vatican politics, Roman dicasteries, diocesan chanceries, local pastors' turf wars, the too often worldly and anything but theocentric agendas that dominate clerical bodies, which have turned themselves into something like churchly regulatory agencies. The next section is Athanasius contra mundum ecclesiae. No one has more courageously and luminously called out the spiritually desiccating bureaucratization of the church than Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who incidentally also celebrates more traditional pontifical masses than any other prelate I am aware of, with the possible exception of Cardinal Burke. Every time I have seen Bishop Schneider, he is either praying and liturgizing, preparing to pray, or writing on and explaining prayer and worship to the people. His heart is a heart for worship, and even his doctrine tastes of bread and wine and smells like incense. What a marvelous example of putting the first table of the law before the second table, as we must do in order to live justly. And putting both these tables ahead of waiting on tables, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so that all else may be added to their rightful place. In his masterful book-length interview, Christus Winket, Bishop Schneider says, To be honest, I am bored with Episcopal meetings and synods. As much as I love my brother bishops and love to meet them, this method of continual synods and assemblies, which are often dominated by frenetic activity, are influenced by the spirit of Pelagianism and modernism. They are often sterile and give the impression of an enormous show of clerical vanity. It would be far more beneficial personally, psychologically, pastorally, and ecclesiastically to meet with the simple Catholic faithful. We bishops would do better to meet young people and young families with children who are thirsting for the beauty of God, the beauty of Catholic truth and life, and for the beauty of Catholic liturgy. I am not against synods or other Episcopal assemblies as such, provided they happen infrequently, are of short duration, have minimal bureaucracy, and transparent and fair rules of procedure, and above all, guarantee and safeguard the integrity of doctrine and discipline in the discussion papers and in the final document. 
the continuous meetings and assemblies of bishops. They are spending so much money. It's incredible. If we would reduce drastically the frequency of these meetings, we could give millions of dollars every year to the poor around the world. To me, this is a sin that churchmen are committing today. Yes, the number of meetings is increasing. For me, it is a sign. When there is a lack of faith and desire for the supernatural, a lack of love for prayer, for works of penance and direct evangelization, then the bishops and those who govern in the Holy See cast themselves into frenetic activities, synods, documents, continuous events. Dr. K then says, I suppose this is a way of saying with Father Z, or rather with the elderly bishop he's fond of quoting, less chatter, more processions. The next section is the Episcopacy reborn in Eucharistic love. To put it in the terms of my earlier remarks, more solemn hierarchical chanted Latin liturgy and less of pastoral programs, synods, interim documents, dictats, and fatwas This would do more than anything else to heal the broken relationships between past and present, between clergy and faithful, between older and younger generations. Turn us all toward God, and we will find again the deepest meaning of hierarchy or sacred principle. We will find the gladsome wherewithal to follow our shepherds when we see them following Christ to the cross, when they are not only facing but living ad orientum, when they are ascending with him as an odor of sweetness to the Father. If this were done, if it were done consistently and well, then the words of Dionysus the Areopagite would be verified. Because of this inspired hierarchical harmony, each one is able to have as great as possible a share in him who is truly beautiful, wise, and good. It might even be said that the synaxis, or gathering for worship, forges a divine unity out of the divisions within us. It grants us communion and union with the one. It is as if the church's hierarchy has chosen to downplay or demote its chief glory and to insist on presenting itself primarily as a structure of power over people. The hierarchy's abandonment of its primary duty, the solemn cultus of the thrice holy God in the divine liturgy, its absorption of secular concerns, day-to-day politics, economics, education, immigration, and the natural environment, that are proper to the Catholic laity who must navigate them according to right principles and its fixation on governing rather than worshiping and sanctifying, this inversion or subversion of identity is at the root of the crisis in the church. That crisis will be healed when priorities are correctly aligned and all the world may see in the universal currency of time and effort lavishly expended at the foot of his throne that God is the first love of those who claim to speak on his behalf. So ends the article, another great one from Dr. Kwasniewski. I wholeheartedly agree, friends. There's so much busyness in the church, frenetic activity amongst cardinals, bishops, priests, laymen, We must be about the business of evangelization. We must be about the business of catechesis. We must be about the business of apologetics. And really, it should be more than a business. It should be a way of life. It's what we're commanded to do, to love God, to love our neighbor, to spread the gospel. 
and the endless synodal process that has happened during this pontificate is a complete and utter disaster. Let's get back to tradition, friends. Let's get back to what works. I was listening to a podcast from Mr. Kennedy Hall the other day. He's an ardent defender of the Society of St. Pius X, and he was talking about what Archbishop Lefebvre, may he rest in peace, what the great Archbishop used to tell people. He used to tell them in terms of strengthening your own faith and spreading it to others, attend the traditional Latin Mass, pray the daily rosary, and read traditional catechisms. That's it. Keep it simple. We're always hearing about the new evangelization. Uh, I've been hearing about this new evangelization for 30 years, probably since the early 90s, the pontificate of John Paul II, maybe even earlier than that. But it hasn't really happened anywhere. You know where it has happened? Where people have held fast to the old evangelization, you might say, to the traditional Latin mass, to praying the rosary every day, to the catechism of Trent, the catechism of St. Pius X, the Baltimore catechism, the things that worked, the things that worked so very well before the liturgy was tampered with in the late 1960s and before the Second Vatican Council of the mid-60s. We need to hold fast to tradition. We need to get back to it. That is the way forward. There is no progress outside of the moral order. We need to get back to a virtuous society. And that starts with the practice of what Father David Nix calls apostolic Catholicism. What has always been believed everywhere by everybody that we got away from in the 20th century, especially the latter half of the 20th century. We need to return to the truth. Only then can we build up a genuine civilization of love. Let us conclude, friends, by mentioning once more helping autism through learning and outreach. That's halo.soma.org, H-A-L-O hyphen S-O-M-A dot org, and also episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, in which I discuss RPM with my wonderful niece and equally wonderful Sister, RPM is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers. Think of how frustrated you would be if you were unable to communicate. That is the lot for so many non-speakers. And just as sign language was a revolutionary breakthrough for the deaf, so RPM has been a revolutionary breakthrough for non-speakers. I'll mention once again that we didn't even know my niece's favorite color prior to her learning RPM and my sister and brother-in-law and now my uh, other wonderful niece becoming proficient in RPM. Now we know that she is, I don't use this phrase lightly, a comprehensive genius. She can compose music. She knows other languages. She's brilliant in regards to mathematics. She has so many gifts. And we would have known none of this were it not for RPM. So let's get the word out there. Once again, H-A-L-O hyphen S-O-M-A dot org and episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast because communication is a human right. 
Let's pray now for help and for healing for our non-speaking friends and family members. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you, through the intercession of St. Raphael Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. The Memorare to St. Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto you, my spiritual father, and beg your protection. O foster father of the Redeemer, despise not my petitions, but in your goodness, hear and answer me. Amen. The three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae, amen. And a Gloria Patri for a special intention. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum, amen. My God, I believe... I adore, I hope, and I love thee. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Virgo potens, ora pronobis, Sancti Osef, terra daimonem, ora pronobis, Sancta Raphael Archangeli, ora pronobis, in nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 535 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. If you could be so kind and you think Our Lady's podcast is worthy of it, give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcast or a positive review wherever you're listening to this. But most importantly, offer up prayers and sacrifices for our Catholic bishops. Goodbye and God love you.